you're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Thank you. Come and grab a seat. Um, we are continuing our series, Good Question, and uh, excited to be hosting um, Chris Mitchell tonight, who's going to bring the word. Let's give him a round of applause. Chris, uh, legend. I'm so excited for what you're going to bring. Um, let's pray for you. Thanks, man. Why don't we stretch our hands. Father, we thank you so much for Chris, for that he carries, Lord, for his heart, for his love for you. And I pray, God, that um, as he speaks, as he pours out himself tonight, God, would you refresh him? Would you fill him? Would you anoint his words? And God, our heart says to you tonight, God, we're hungry to hear what you want to say to us this evening. Come, Holy Spirit, fill him up and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pray. Evening, everyone. So my friend Joe was sat in a cramped living room somewhere in the middle of rural Kenya when he was forced to completely rethink his understanding of how the world works. He'd gone to Kenya to help build a school with a bunch of other young Brits. He was really nervous to begin with, but because he really he didn't know anyone else on the team. By the time his plane landed, though, in Kenya, he was absolutely full of optimism. He was expecting the trip of a lifetime. He was going to help people in one of the world's most beautiful countries. But his minibus was slowly making its way out of the capital and into the countryside when he became aware of a problem far beyond his capacity to help. The Kenya he'd landed in was in the grip of one of the most severe droughts in its history. The particular region that he was visiting had not received a single drop of rain in almost a year. The baking heat of his minibus was slowly evaporating his optimism. And if he had any hope left, by the time he arrived at his host family's home later that evening, completely disappeared when he began to hear stories of the human impact of catastrophic, unimaginable dryness. Villages turned to deserts, parents burying children. There were real fears that that drought might never end. Joe had gone to that place to try and help people, but that first night, In that living room, he discovered that actually had nothing to offer. And it was that point of utter helplessness that someone in the room suggested that they should pray. At that point, Joe had never really prayed in his life. He thought he probably believed in a God, like somewhere far away, but why should he speak to him? Was he even listening to Joe from Glasgow? But then faced with all of this suffering, What else could he actually do? Who else could he speak to? So his teammates and his host family desperately started to pray for the situation and Joe quietly added his voice to theirs. God, can you fix this mess? God, can you help these people? God, can you please just do something? They prayed and they prayed and they prayed together and eventually the room fell silent. 
And in the silence, they were able to hear something gently tapping on the metal roof above their heads. And it was a familiar sound, and it was gradually getting more and more intense, but it still took a few moments before anyone really realized what was going on. While they were praying, it had started to rain. Their prayers had been answered. Everyone was completely awestruck. They just spent the rest of the night laughing and crying and worshipping together, completely overwhelmed by the majesty and the power of a God who'd heard their simple prayers and had done something. Joe was left with a nagging question. Who is this God? It's a question that set him on a journey of faith that led to him getting baptised a few months later, and I think it's actually one of the most incredible testimonies I've ever heard, but it's also one that poses a few difficult questions to us. Like, really, who is this God? Is this a God that we believe in, a God who reigns over the earth? We might believe it in our heads, but do we really believe it in our hearts? I think we should ask ourselves, the last time I saw a story of climate catastrophe on the news Did I pray pray those same prayers? I think more often than not, we tend to just look away because if we believe in a God that reigns over the earth, it only leads to trickier questions. Like, yeah, the rain fell in the end, but what about all those months of thirst, of hunger, of suffering that came beforehand? Where was God then? And eventually another drought just followed that drought. Did God not fix things properly? How about all the other droughts, the other floods, the wildfires that are becoming increasingly common, increasingly devastating? What's God up to? I think, bottom line, all our questions boil down to this one. Does God really care about the earth? It's a tough question, and it's one that our culture has a few possible answers to. Like, simply, there is no God. Or there is a God that created the earth, but he's not actively involved in it anymore. He's like the startup founder who started a really successful business in his 30s. Now he just sort of leaves it to run itself while he's on some never-ending tour of music festivals. He's busy. Or God made the heavens and the earth, but... Deep down, he sort of prefers heaven. Earth's just some sort of warm-up act or some draft version. One day, he's just going to scrap it completely, save a few little bits that he liked, take them to heaven. Whether we realize it or not, each of us has our own answer to this question. And it's so important we face it head-on because I think the thing about big questions like this is that our answers to them have big consequences. The pastor Pete Hughes always says, the story you live in is the story you live out. So often I find myself asking at the moment, if the stories we're collectively living out are causing so much harm to the planet, what's the story we're meant to be living in? Tonight we're going to train ourselves to try and think about earth in line with the biblical story. And I believe this will give us a strong, a solid foundation to answer this question and so many other questions we might have about 
the state of the planet. It's a story with four movements. We're going to go through creation, decreation, recreation, and complete renewal. And we're going to go through the whole Bible cover to cover, but we're <laughs> quickly, I promise. Uh, but we're focused mainly on John chapter 20, if you want to find that in your own Bible and wait for me there. So we'll start with creation on pages one and two of the Bible where Genesis gives us this beautifully rich and lyrical narrative of how and, more importantly, why God created the earth. And it's arranged as a seven-day week. It starts on the first day of the week with the Spirit of God hovering over uncreated darkness. From this darkness, God creates light, then land, plants, animals, and eventually he creates humanity by breathing his breath of life into them. God blesses humanity with a unique role. As a gardener tends to a garden, we're to take charge of the rest of creation in God's image or according to his character. Our role here, if you notice, has vertical and horizontal responsibilities. We're called to vertical relationship with the loving God. And we're to horizontally represent his love to the rest of creation, each other and the earth itself. The writer of Genesis tells us that the earth in this original order was very good. So what's gone wrong? Well, on the next page, Genesis 3, we see humanity rebels and chooses to run the show according to their own plans. Rebellion against the very good order of things has both vertical and horizontal consequences. Our relationship with God is broken, and the creation is broken too. This rebellion initiates a process of decreation in everything that God's made. That's disorder, decay, death. It's a moment that we often refer to as the curse. And Old Testament expert Tim Mackey summarizes it really well, I think. He says, The curse is when God hands people over to the consequences of seizing our blessing on our own terms. It's a curse because instead of abundance and life, we end up with scarcity, isolation, and death. It's a truly tragic twist. It's the earth and humanity created together, humanity called to lead the rest of creation in good relationship with God. But humanity cannot sustain creation without the creator. If the hearts of humanity are turned away from God, there will be decreation in the earth. So that's the first three pages covered. <laughs> I promise Josh will be quick, so we're going to whiz through the next thousand. Decreation was never God's end game. While rebellion and decreation are wreaking havoc in the earth, God promises to rescue to redeem, to re-establish that very good order of things. This pro promise emerges really early on in the Bible, but the volume gets turned up really loud by the prophets who long for a day when God's going to come and fix everything, including the earth. Here's Isaiah 41. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights, springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. 
The theologian Tom Wright captures this journey of creation, decreation, and this anticipation of recreation like this. He says, this is the biblical hope, that the God who made the world would put it right. This hope is very much alive when Jesus arrives on the scene and the gospel authors are completely in tune with it. If we look now at John chapter 20, which begins just a couple days after Jesus has been tortured, killed and buried. We see in verse 1, John starts, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Is this language ringing any bells? It's Genesis language. It's what we heard right at the beginning. Anyone who's spent any time in the Bible before understands that its authors are not wasting time with irrelevant details. Any detail that they choose to use has some sort of significance. John's deliberately trying to remind us of Genesis, but we're going to have to keep reading to find out why. So Mary arrives at Jesus' tomb and she finds it empty and she's completely devastated. And it's understandable, the teacher she's given her life to has just been tortured and murdered before her very eyes and now she thinks his body's been stolen. But while she sat there crying, Jesus himself arrives, alive again, and he comforts her. We're told in verse 15, she originally mistakes him for a gardener, which is more weirdly specific Genesis language. Jesus calls her name and she recognizes him. She snaps out of her grief and he sends her running to his disciples, her hiding in fear of his killers, scared that they're going to be next. In verse 19, John feels he has to remind us again it's the first day of the week. And now we finally get to find out what all this Genesis language is about. Jesus arrives and he stands amongst his disciples. And in verse 22, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. As God breathed life into humanity in the Genesis creation narrative, the risen Jesus breathes new life into his followers and kicks off recreation. What's John talking about here? Although he was completely innocent, Jesus has just been crucified, and in doing so, he's taken on the full consequences of humanity's rebellion, including that curse of death itself. The God of life has allowed the powers of death to throw everything they have at him. He suffered and emerged victorious, rising again into new life, so that humanity and the rest of creation could enter into new life with him. What defines this new life? John tells us it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That same spirit of creation that was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1 can live in us if we choose to follow Jesus. If we hear from Tom Wright again, he says, the biblical message is that the project of recreation has begun. It began when, through Jesus, God overthrew the dark powers that have spoiled and corrupted his beautiful world and particularly the beautiful lives of his precious, image-bearing human beings, who were made to be the crown of creation, the agents through whom God would bring his beauty and justice into the world. The project happened through Jesus' kingdom work, which reached its climax on the cross. Because the power of death was defeated on the cross, the way was opened for creation to be set free from its slavery to decay, corruption, and death starting with Jesus' own physical body. 
I think we can so often fall into the trap of seeing the way of Jesus as some self-help gospel about making me a better person, but it's so much more than that. As Paul says in Colossians, the aim of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. All things on earth does include me and my mess. And it includes my friends and my family, my colleagues, my classmates, my relationships. All things on earth also includes the air we breathe, the trees on our streets, the farms that grow our food, the river that our city calls home. All things on earth through his blood. God cares about the earth. Look at Jesus' wounds. Look at the price he's paid to make things right. Jesus, the God of creation in the flesh, has begun to fix the earth by bringing his people, his representatives, back into right relationship with him. And our work now is to share this incredible story, not just with our words, but by partnering with the Holy Spirit to undo the damage of decreation wherever we find it. In the exact same scene in Mark's gospel, Jesus commissions us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This includes the earth in which we live. The state of the earth is inseparable from the state of our hearts. Remember that as long as the hearts of humanity are turned away from God, there will be decreation in the earth. And that's still true. But Jesus has made a way back. The recreation project has begun. It's a work in progress, but it's still a very real taste of the coming complete renewal, guaranteed by his victory over death. This is the end game. If we turn now to the last page of the Bible, Revelation 21, I'm going to have to skim for the sake of time, if you'll forgive me, but we see in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He, was, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. It's complete renewal. Everything made new. Heaven and earth overlapping entirely. So let's wrap things up. The leading climate scientist Michael Mann recently described emotions amongst his colleagues about the climate crisis. And he said, there's so much anxiety, fear, despair, and grief. It's completely understandable. These scientists are seeing the earth that we call home abused and destroyed before their very eyes. But as Mary learned at the empty tomb, there's a story that calls us out of grief. As the disciples learn in the upper room, there's a story that leads us out of fear. If Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty, if he is who he said he was, the embodiment of the God he called Father, a God of love, of life, of creation and creativity, 
the God that we're all longing for, if his resurrection was the beginning of the end of death itself, if that's the story we're living in, then we've got hope. So how do we live that out? I'm going to quickly give two starting points, but I think this is a story that has impacts in every area of our lives. But if we take a quick look at a horizontal aspect and a vertical aspect. So the renowned Oxford economist Kate Rayworth has argued that one of the foundations of sustainable society is generosity. By this she means generosity towards the earth, living simply within the limits of our planet to make the most of what we've got, not consuming more than we need, but also generosity towards other people. That's sharing with others if we find that we have more than we need. Professor Rayworth has put some brilliant research behind this, but I want to suggest that she's maybe not the first to come up with this idea. Jesus calls his followers to live lives of world-changing generosity, of liberating simplicity. John Mark Comer, the sage of modern life, who's writing on simplicity, I'd highly recommend, he says, on the one hand, the world and everything in it is very good and meant to be enjoyed and shared with those in need. On the other hand, too much wealth is dangerous. It has the potential to turn our hearts away from God. And when that happens, our greedy, off-kilter hearts can wreak havoc, not only on our own lives, sabotaging our happiness, but more importantly, on others, widening the gap between rich and poor and doing damage to the earth itself. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to generosity, and everyone's circumstances are different, but I want to suggest that each of us asks ourselves, do I have enough stuff? Next time we're indulging in a bit of fast fashion, or more often in my case, fast food, I want to suggest we ask ourselves a few questions. Who made what I'm buying? Were they treated well? Was the earth treated well? Remember that price tags don't necessarily tell you the true value or the true cost of the things we buy. And we already have everything we need to live a happy and content life. It's not the secular religion of materialism. It's the freedom that comes from relationship with Jesus. Here at Whole Vineyard, we're trying to live out this story, particularly in our compassion ministries, where we're working to share God's abundance with those who need it the most and prevent things from being wasted. Grow Baby is a perfect example of this. We pass on secondhand baby clothes to people that can't afford to buy new ones. And as a result, fewer clothes are manufactured and fewer are wasted. It's the same with the food bank, where we often receive food that supermarkets are on the brink of wasting, and then we redistribute it to people in crisis. We're so eager to be a part of this recreation story. We're desperate to grow our compassion work. Ben's always looking for volunteers, if you're keen to get interested, but we're only going to need more when the Hope Centre's built, which I'm told we're planning to run as far as possible off renewable energy, like we already do with this building. Finally, an example of what we can do vertically. The point of all of this is that humanity cannot sustain the creation without the Creator, so we need to pray. We've got so much to pray about. The Earth is beautiful. So soak it up and thank God for his handiwork. 
And he stepped into our world and won, won victory over death. So let's worship him with confidence. But as long as the hearts of humanity are turned away from God, there's going to be decreation in the earth. So we've got to pray for God's intervention. We need his justice for the earth. We need his justice for the people who still suffer within it. We need him to win hearts. We need wise leaders in positions of power. The tension between decreation and recreation can be so difficult at times. But our calling as God's representatives is to take things to him over and over again in prayer. God, would you fix this mess? God, would you help these people? God, would you please do something? I believe if we pray and we listen, we might hear him say to us, I have done something. I will keep doing it until everything is made new. Now, will you please join me? Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.